welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, January 21st, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, a message titled, Jesus Satisfying the Surrendered. chapter 4 this morning we are in a series on Hebrews we started that several weeks ago and what we have said is that Hebrews shows us heaven it shows us what's going on in heaven today the um, words look or see are found in numerous places all through the book of Hebrews and I think that's one of the main points that the writer is trying to get across is that we need to see Jesus. We need to see him high and lifted up, see him in heaven as he is now, and see that he is doing a whole lot for us. So the chapters in Hebrews are kind of like open windows, and through these chapters we've been going through and we've been noticing the different glimpses that we see of Jesus. In chapter 1, we see him sitting high and lifted up, sitting on the throne. That means Jesus can do for you that what no one else can do. For you, And so the fact that he is high and lifted up makes everything else that we read in this book possible. Number two, in chapters one and two, we see Jesus serving the needs of saints. The saints. He is the king of angels, and he is the one who is directing all that activity to serve the needs of us, his people, down here below. In uh, chapter two... We also see this glimpse of Jesus, that he is sanctifying the servants of God. So he's using his word, he's using his spirit to make us like himself. And that's what he's doing in heaven right now. Today we come to chapter 3 and chapter 4, and we see another glimpse of the Lord. We see that from heaven he's supplying us with something very, very important. And that is rest, peace, and stillness of soul. We see Jesus from heaven in these chapters satisfying the surrendered. Apart from God, we cannot know peace. The Bible says, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. That's what we are apart from God. We're like a troubled sea who cannot rest, but with the Lord in our life. He comes into our life and he speaks peace, be still, and everything becomes calm. Doesn't mean everything's going to become perfect in your life. That comes later. But it means inside, where Jesus is ruling and reigning, there are calm waters. There's a peace that the world cannot take away. And so his peace is just being poured down constantly from heaven, from heaven's throne, into our hearts right now. That's what chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews shows us. And Jesus wants us to have his peace. It makes all the difference in the world. One Bible teacher described it this way. He said, 
that God's peace or rest that's spoken of here is more than just getting a good eight hours of sleep. It's more than just two weeks of vacation. It's more than slumping into the easy chair and falling asleep while the TV is, is still on. It's even more than coming to worship on Sunday and feeling better afterward because we've slowed down. He says God's peace goes even deeper than that. He says God's peace is a constant presence of calmness so powerful that no matter the burdens of life that swirl around you, your soul soars in freedom above them. No matter the stresses that fall upon your body, you have a fountain of soulful refreshment. No matter the attacks against your spirit, you have an abiding peace that keeps you from coming apart. And that's God's peace. That while everything else around us is swirling and attacking us and is not perfect, there's a part down in, deep inside of us that is still and calm and it is held together by the power of the Lord. This is the kind of life the Lord has. The Lord has calm, restful, soul-deep peace. And he brings that into your life and my life. Only he can do this. And this is the peace that we need. So the people of the book that this is written to, the Hebrews, these were Christians that lived during this day and time that were knowing persecution from the left and the right, um, they become overwhelmed in life. And when you become overwhelmed in life, you tend to do some things that only make matters worse not better, right? And that's what they were doing. What they were doing is they were moving away from Christ to try to relieve the pressure that was all around them. And that was the wrong move. They, they should have been moving to Christ. And that's why the writer all through the book of Hebrews is saying, look at Christ, see Christ, look up. When there's pressure all around us, we don't need to, to look to the left and right, try to get away from it. We need to look up. And when you look up, you see Jesus. And you see him from heaven's throne doing things for you that nobody else does. And namely, he's pouring peace into your heart for this situation. And that's what brings the calmness. That's what brings the peace. So what about you? As you're dealing with the stress in your life right now, are you moving closer to Christ? Are you moving further away from him? As you move closer to him, you'll get a better glimpse of him. And you'll see and know in a fuller measure the peace that he wants to pour into your life and mine. Now chapter 3 and chapter 4 are both about peace. Chapter 3 is about how peace comes into our life, how it's present. But then chapter 4 teaches us how Christ's peace becomes powerful. So this is the, the subjects of each of the chapter. The theme is peace. And I will walk you through each of these chapters. Chapter 3 is about how Christ's peace is present. Read with me and starting in verse 1, we'll read down through verse 11. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one 
has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest or my peace. So God has peace for the people of God. And number one, the writer is saying here that the peace of God comes into our life through a relationship, personal relationship with him by faith. This is what the first verses are talking about. There is a positive example of faith given here, and that is with Moses. Moses was a man of faith. And then there's a negative example of faith here, and that is all the fathers and the people in the wilderness that rebelled against God. They're the negative example of faith. And so Moses had faith. These verses show us that he was a servant of God who was faithful, that he had came to that place in his life where he surrendered his heart to the Lord. And so in your notes, that's the first blank that we have to fill in there, is what faith is. Faith is surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. He is the one that we come to and we surrender to. He's called the apostle and high priest of our confession. That means that he is the one who was sent from heaven. He is the one who sacrificed on the cross for you, you and me, becoming our great high priest. He is the one who ascended back to heaven and now brings us into the presence of God. He's the one that we place our faith in. And Moses shows us that you place your faith in the Lord by surrendering to him and becoming his servant. These verses say that Moses was a servant of the Lord and he was faithful as he served the Lord because he surrendered. He laid it all at the Lord's feet. And that's what you and I have to do as well. We have to come to the point in our life where we realize that we don't have peace on the inside. We're empty without him. And the only thing that can fix that is that we confess our sin to him and we repent of that sin and we surrender it all to him. When I placed my faith in the Lord as a boy, I was empty. That was the thing I remember more than anything else is I just had an empty place on the inside of me. And nothing would fill that. Not going to church, not reading my Bible, not trying to be good. I did a, tried to do all those things. But it all came up short. Nothing filled that empty place inside of Mike's heart except when I bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ and I said, Lord, I'm a sinner needs to be saved. Lord, I'm lost. Lord, come into my heart. And a lot of things have come into my life since then. I've learned how to love people. I have trouble with that sometimes. 
I've learned how to have joy. I've learned how to stand for the truth. I've learned how to worship God. I've learned how to do a multitude of things. But the very first thing that I experienced once I bowed my heart to the Lord and opened my heart to Him was peace. That came flooding in. And I knew something had happened. Romans 5 verse 1 says it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace comes through surrendering our life to Him. And so Moses is the positive example, and we see not only that he surrendered his heart to the Lord, but he surrendered forever. The word forever goes in that next blank in your notes. Verses 5 and 6 shows us this. Moses had the faith that was once and for all. He didn't hold back. It wasn't a faith today and gone tomorrow, but it was a once and for all faith in the Lord. The Bible says that he had a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. That meant that he had a faith that continued to produce fruit in his life that people could continue to speak about. And this was a faith that was firm all the way to the end, as verse 6 talks about. And verse 6 says that, we too can have confidence if we hold fast and rejoice in this hope firm to the end. Now, this doesn't mean that, that, um, that only as you hold out in your faithfulness to the end do you have guarantee that you're going to be saved. That's not what this is teaching. This is teaching that when you come to Christ on the front end, you have to come holding nothing back. You come and you surrender it all to Him once and for all. And you give it to him who is the faithful one. You can't stay faithful, but he has and he can. And so you bring it all to him, that kind of faith of surrendering all to him, that's the forever faith that's placed in his hands. The Bible says that when we place our heart, our soul, our forever in his hands, he takes it and he changes it forever. And our faithfulness is based upon our our guarantee of our salvation is based upon His faithfulness, not ours. That's what verse 6 is talking about. This is the kind of faith that Moses had. But the people in the wilderness were opposite of this. Verses 7 through 11 is the negative example of faith. It's what faith is not. And number one, it is faith that is following the Lord without a surrendered heart. Look at verses 7 through 8, again, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. So there were people in the wilderness coming out of Egypt that did not know the Lord. The Bible called uh, that group in the wilderness a mixed congregation. That meant that some knew the Lord by faith. They looked forward to Christ coming and sacrificing for their sins. We looked back, but they were saved the same way. There were some in that group that were saved by faith, and there were many that were not. They were a mixed congregation. And those who had failed to receive the Lord, that failed to surrender to him like Moses did, they were following him. They were following Moses. They followed the same dusty footprints that everybody else followed. They sat in the congregation of the Lord. They worshiped Him on a regular basis. They were there when they built a tabernacle. They may even have said, praise the Lord out loud. 
but they kept something back. They kept the real part of themselves, their heart, their soul, the inner being. They kept it back for themselves. And the Bible says that they did not surrender their hearts to the Lord. And this was rebellion. When we hold back from the Lord the most special part of us, then we are rebelling against the Lord. The Lord can have this, he can have that, but oh, no, this, this is too special to me. I'm going to hold this for myself. That's exalting ourself over him. And so these folks here in the wilderness, they refused to give their heart to the Lord. On the outside, it looked they were in the crowd, but they, they were not in the family of God. They were not in the household of God like Moses was. And so they were following, but they were following without a surrendered heart. Verses 7, 8, and 9 show us. But then the rest of the verses show us that there were other folks in this crowd that, that fell short of God's peace because they were following their own ways, not the Lord's. And the Lord references this in verse 10 and 11. He says, They have not known my ways. So I said, they shall not enter my rest. There were other folks there that did not make it into the promised land, and they were saved. Uh, Moses didn't make it into the promised land, but he was saved. Uh, Aaron, Miriam, their family households, many of them were saved. Many people were saved in this congregation. But even though they were saved, this is another part of how the peace comes into our, our hearts, is that as we follow the Lord's ways, peace is multiplied in our life. Moses fell short of that. There was a time in which he did not follow the Lord's instructions. And as a result, he didn't make it in. He was saved. You can't lose your salvation once you have it, but you can lose God's peace. And so the writer gives us commentary on this passage in verses 16 through 19 when he says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses, including Moses himself? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? For we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And so there were some that did not enter in because they were not truly saved. They had unbelief. But then there were others that in moments of time they didn't follow through on their faith. Didn't mean they didn't go to heaven. They did. Moses is in heaven, but he didn't go into the promised land. He didn't go into the land of peace. And for you and me, we too can, even, we can have salvation, but we can be robbed of God's peace because we're not following his ways. Faith that saves and faith that brings God's peace holds nothing back, and it puts the Lord's ways first and foremost. And that's where our peace comes from. So if you had the Lord's salvation, you had the Lord's peace. It may be down there deep. It may be, you may have not have felt it for a long time, but it's there. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you don't have a bad day. Doesn't mean that you won't wake up on a Sunday morning and you, you water, your, your water pipes are busted and your front yard's filled with water. I experienced that this morning. You will have bad days, but that peace, that peace is still there. That peace goes over and beyond all the trouble. That peace outlasts it, and that peace is what carries us through. 
But there is a way that we can see God's peace empowered in our life, and that's what chapter 4 is about. Chapter 3 is important because it, it drives down this very important point that we must be clear about is that we cannot have peace by following our own ways. You won't find peace in someone else's way of wisdom. You'll only find it through the Lord. The fear of the Lord leads to life, Proverbs 19, verse 23 says. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction and peace. It only comes from the Lord. But once we have it from the Lord, there's a way that it can become even more powerful in our life, and that's what chapter 4 is about. As verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Therefore, because this is true, the Lord's peace has come, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So the key to powerful peace is the word of God becoming powerful in your life. That's the point of chapter 4. That's why the word is mentioned here at the beginning. That's why we come to this very key verse in verse 12 where it says the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. The word of God is what makes peace powerful in your life and my life. So let's focus on verse 12 and let's notice the four transforming qualities of the word of God as it brings peace into your heart and my life. Number one, the word of God produces spiritual vitality. For the Word of God is living. That word living means to have vitality. It means to have life. And the Word of God is life itself. Jesus said in John chapter 6, 63, These words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So there is Spiritual vitality and just reading God's word and letting it come into your mind and into your heart. How are you doing on your daily Bible readings right now so far this, this new year? Have you gotten off track? Have you not gotten on track yet? <laughs> if you want God's peace to be really powerful in your life, where you don't have to go hunting for it, you don't have to go searching for it, you don't have to dig for it, it's just there front and center you get God's Word in your heart and mind. That's how it's powerful. And so reading God's Word on a regular basis puts God's living words into our mind and our heart, and it affects us. It brings strength and peace. This was seen in a man's life who had lost everything. He was wealthy. He had a lot of things that people would desire, but he lost all of it. He had a big family. All of them died except his wife. And he even lost her emotionally because she became so bitter that she turned away from him and she even turned away from God. And last of all, this man lost his health. And he became so sick that he, all he could do is just lie around on a sick bed. But this man kept his faith and he blessed God and he continued to live and the Lord continued to give him strength. And he's a man that we still talk about today 
who has great spiritual peace is the man Job. And here's what Job said. Listen to what he said in chapter 30 or 23 of his book. He said, but he knows the way that I take, that God knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My feet has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's how Job made it through his trouble. And that's how he made it through peace. It was God's word that is living. And then secondly, it's powerful. This word powerful in verse 12 is the word in ergas in the original. It's the word we get energy from. It sounds like that's where we get it from. And it's talking about spiritual energy that comes from God's word. Haven't you experienced it? You get up on a, on a morning and, and your head's filled with cobwebs and your heart's dull and you don't want to get out of bed, you won't do anything, but you know you got to get up and you got to encounter life. And so you get up and you make it to your quiet time and you open God's word and you start reading God's word. Before long, the light goes on in your mind and your heart is energized. And you go from wanting to just crawl back into bed and just avoid life to you're actually excited about walking out of your house and entering into life's circumstances that day with God's power and God's word. What changed? God's word came into your heart and your mind. Spiritual energy came your way. God's word is like a power plant of spiritual energy. And once you open it, you tap in to that energy. Can you imagine how hard it would be if every single day that you got up or every single day you came back to your house, you had to actually go chop wood to have heat in your home? Or you had to go and do some manual labor to get the water to flow or the heat to, to come on? Every single day you had to do that. How much harder it would be. I'm so glad that we live in the, the, time, the advanced age that we live in where we can just push buttons and all that gets taken care of. But someone had to do work somewhere down the line to produce that energy. And that's true spiritually as well. If you try to go through life and your Bible is a closed book, and as a result, your heart is closed to God's Word. And all that you get is just what little is poured into your life for 30 to 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. You're going to find yourself getting up every single day and having to create your own energy. You've got to go chop your own wood. You've got to go tap into to, from work you do to tap into the power to get things going if you do it apart from God's Word. You've got to do other things to drum up your enthusiasm, to, to get you motivated, to get you strengthened. But God's Word is intended to be that energy for us, to wake us up in the morning, to keep us going, to see us through the ups and downs of our day. That's what God's Word is for. It is powerful. It is spiritual energy. So we must stay in tune with it and in touch with it on a regular basis. What else do we receive from God's word? Verse 12 also says, and this is number three, or, D, or C in our outline, 
God's Word gives spiritual surgery, goes in that blank there. Spiritual surgery. God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword that is able to pierce what nothing else can pierce. It is able to create a division of soul and spirit and even joints and marrow. It's able to go and touch places in your, in your heart and your soul that nothing else can touch. Spiritual surgery. And so the Word of God is able to touch those places in our life and change those places in a way that nothing else can. The Bible is compared to a mirror in James chapter 1. And there it says that we, just like a man beholds his natural face in a mirror, we can see ourselves more clearly through the Word of God. We see what we really look like. We see what we need to work on. You know, you get up in the morning, you look at the mirror, and you go, oh, we got a lot of work to do today. It doesn't look good in the mirror. And the Word of God is like that. The Word of God, once we open it, we read it, and as the Holy Spirit gives us insight to it, we see things that need to change about us. We see there's a lot of work to be done. And the Word of God goes to work on those areas, and it does spiritual surgery. It kills those things in our life that cuts them out that doesn't need to be there, and then with the other side of the blade, it heals. It kills and it heals. It heals those areas that are broken, that are incomplete. And as the Bible says in Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He gives us the peace that we need as we see our lives changing from his power and his grace. And then finally, from his word, there is spiritual sensibility. Discernment is given also. We are, the, Bible, the word of God says, is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart and even is able to then prepare us for the judgment that's coming. As verse 13 says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know, when we go through experiences in life and we look back on those from hindsight, which is 2020, we say, oh, I should have said this. Or I wish I wouldn't have said that. Or I should have done this. Or I wish I never would have gone there. That's discernment. When you can look at something and see it clearly. If there are natural eyes, we only get that from hindsight. But here's how we get it from foresight. It's through the Word of God. The Word of God in our hearts and our minds prepares us for what's coming. And it prepares us every single day to walk by faith and to walk in the Lord's ways, not our ways. And what the Lord shows us, and this is why we need to get into God's Word as early as we can, it gives us a forewarning about how we need to steer clear of this and how we need to go this way so that when we go through life, we don't have to look back and go, oh, I should have done that because the Word of God already directed us in the right direction. It's that kind of sensibility, that kind of discernment that God's Word gives us and it even prepares us for the ultimate time in which we'll look at our life and say, oh, I wish I would have done something different. The Bible says in verse 13 we're, that we're going to give an account of our life before him whose, whose eyes, before whose eyes everything is open. 
God sees everything in our life, and one day we'll stand before him, and every single thing that has happened in our life will be on display. And I believe that it's going to be just one-on-one between us and him. And I'm glad it's going to be that way. I think every one of his servants is going to be called in one by one. It's not going to be before a huge crowd where there's going to be, you know, embarrassing details and snickering going on over here and this and that. And, you know, no, I think it's going to be very personal. Our salvation is very personal. And I think the Lord is going to go through our life step by step. And he's going to show us how we strayed. He's going to show us how he covered that sin for us. He's going to show us the consequences that came in our life and the rewards that we lost because of that and how it all ended by his grace to preserve us. It will be the word of God that prepares us for that moment. That's why we need the word of God. It's the word of God that will give us peace along the way. Peace in that moment. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.